Maybe you felt chills or goosebumps. Perhaps it's an overwhelmed feeling of something bigger than you or more complex. Whatever the feeling, God put the response in your soul as a reminder of His presence, power, and glory. It's called awe, and He wants to remind us of it every day in many ways. Join us as we discover how God has used His awe to inspire others to follow Him deeper in their lives. Good afternoon, and welcome to In Awe by Bruce. You know, when I was growing up, there was a show called The Naked City, and each week the announcer would say, there are 8 million stories in the Naked City, and this is one of them. Now, 8 million seems like a lot, but actually, if we look at it the opposite way, if we change our perspective, we see that there's a lot of stories going on, and they're important, and that's why that they put them on every week. Well, we're fortunate enough to be able to hear another extremely important story today. And this is what I love about doing this show is I get to listen to these beautiful and awe-inspiring stories like the one we're going to have today with our guest, Steve Skipper. He's an untrained artist, but you would never know it by his work. His work is incredible. I mean, when I've looked at it, it's, it's so realistic and breathtaking. His mom told him that a person of color couldn't make it as an artist. And at school, he got himself caught up in the street gang, the Crips. He sold drugs for him. He was addicted. He was making more money than his teachers. And then he got a call, but it's not the kind of call that you normally think. This was a call that came through a dare. It was a dare by a Christian who spoke up boldly to him when he was with his gang members and challenged him to come to church. He did, and his life has been transformed ever since. He's now using the gifts that God's given him to move from a focus on sports artwork to civil rights, and he's helping bridge the gap of color and community. Wait till you see these works. They're all over. They're in the, all the Hall of Fames, the Football Hall of Fame, Pro College Football Hall of Fame, Alabama Football Hall of Fame, which that is the one thing, Steve, we're going to have to talk about. We've got to change that to the Ohio State University Hall of Fame. <laughs> Paul Bear Bryant's Museum, MGM Grand, Millennial Gate in Atlanta, and many, many more. Just powerful. And he's got a documentary coming out called Colors of Character, an artist's journey to redemption that's looking to release later this fall, October or November. And I think the impact of this documentary could be very, very powerful. And so I'm very excited to have Steve on the show today. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm, I'm very, very honored to be here with you. Starting right off, I've got to just jump into the, the different things that happened in your life. Uh, there's a bunch of them. We'll talk about that as we go on. But what is the biggest thing that God does in your life that drives you to do what you do? Well, that's a great question. I uh, think that the first thing, I mean, when he when he saved me and, and you know, it's not sometimes what God does is how he does it. Mm -hmm. um, the way he saved me was it seemed like it was custom made for me. I mean, I had been to church before, but the demonic spirits that were in my life at the time wasn't, you know, hearing religion at all. And when it came to the night that I got saved, on December 23rd, 1976, 9.46 p.m., uh, I'll never forget that, that hour mm -hmm. you know, when, when the gospel was, was preached to me. I'm talking about unadulterated gospel, and the spirits that were in my life gave way under the weight of the anointing of God, and I ended up dropping my colors on the floor of the back, back of the church and walking up to the altar and kneeling 
kneeling down and giving my heart to Jesus Christ. And explain maybe for people listening, not familiar maybe with some gang things, when you say you dropped your colors, tell us how significant that really is. Well, I mean, your, your colors is something like uh, your indoctrination into the gang is your identity, you know, as being in the gang. And it's something that you pledge uh, to never let go. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm talking about the only thing that caused you to let it go is death itself. And I think that spiritually that night, I died spiritually, so I was qualified to let it Real honored and real happy that God did what he did and uh, put me in a position where, where I fell in love with Jesus Christ that night and fell in love with him enough to, to risk my life for him a little bit later after, after I gave my life to him. So how how did you risk your life later? What what happened? Well, you know, I mean, this is an organization that you just don't walk out of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you don't tell them that I'm not going to be there. This is this is a long way away from the Boy Scouts or whatever. And <laughs> so, you know, not too long after I got saved, I had to let them know that you know I wasn't coming back. And I actually thought, knowing that what the you know what the creed was and everything and how deeply in love with Jesus I was, I actually thought that. You know, that night I was going to get killed. Yeah. You know, and I was so in love with Christ, you know, I didn't mind. <laughs> so I walked in, you know, and I told him I wasn't coming back. And the, when Jesus, you know, when he really changes somebody's life, I'm talking about really change. I'm not talking about when people become members of churches and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about when he really radically changes your life. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for, for people to not see it. especially when they're demon-possessed. One thing that a person that's demon-possessed will recognize more than anything is the anointing of of Jesus Christ. Uh, Amen. When I walked in there, they saw it all over me. And I'm I'm looking for them to be angry, and they were just actually kind of startled and kind of scared and kind of, you know, off-kilter. But then I turned around, and I walked out, and I, I was expecting with everything in me to get shot in the back. Mm-hmm. And I started one step, two steps, and it's been a million steps after that and 40-something years later, and nobody never said anything. Wow. Talk about maybe the, like you do in the movie, the boldness that Christ gives us that, oh. that made that difference, because that's what shocked them, right? Oh, my God. I mean, at the same time, you know, it shocked them, but at the same time, I, I was shocked when Mike Mitchell came up to me and told me I needed to be saved. <laughs> You know, I mean, there were 13 guys down in the park. We're getting high. We just robbed some people and stuff like that. So we're going to celebrate what we did. And so we're down in the park getting high. And all of a sudden he yells over and says, Steve Skipper, out of all 13 guys, Steve Skipper, you need you need to stop doing that stuff and you need to give your life to Christ. And I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, <laughs> give your life to Christ. What is that? You know, and yeah. then at the same time, you got to understand something about the people who are possessed by demons, you know, because that's that's the qualification to be in the in the crypts or the bloods or whatever. You've got to be demon possessed. And I had a lot of demons in, in, on the inside of me, you know, before I ever came there because of the tremendous amount of dysfunction in the home that I was coming up in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were all armed in the park that day. And so to come to take a step towards us was just like, you got to be crazy. You know, you yeah. just, right. 
And so Mike actually walked towards them, and I, I saw them going for their weapons and getting up and everything. They're fixing to kill this guy. I tell them, leave him alone. Because on the inside of me, that's one thing you got to understand, man. Yeah. You in something like this, you got to understand that, that as bad as kids can talk and as bad as they can act and as bad as they can do all this other stuff, deep down on the inside, that's where God is looking. He's looking at the kid on the inside, deep down mm -hmm. in your soul where you are tired. You know, yeah. you're actually worn out, you know. And that's why Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your <laughs> soul, not for your body, for your soul, because you're tired of this stuff. But you just don't know the way out. And so I was actually tired, and that's why God was waiting on me to get to, you know. And when Mike came up there, it was just like everything just fell in place. Everything, you know, from from the before the foundation of the world, that day was the day that I, God knew I was going to get saved. Mm. And so he said what he said. I was hanging on every word that he said, but I couldn't act like it in front of the game. Right. So when he said, you know, I'll make you a deal. And he said, if you go to church with me one night, you go to church with me one night, I'll stop talking to you about Jesus. And I said, that's a deal. Because I thought church was going to be like the church that I've been to before, where it's boring. And then at the same time, about 15 minutes, when people start shouting or whatever they're going to do, and I just get up and go outside. And I made a plan to meet a guy outside to buy some speed. And I didn't realize that God's plan was heavier than my plan. <laughs> and I went in there and expecting to stay 15 minutes, and I've been in there for 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> We, you know, and, and it's so significant, Steve, what you just said about God speaking to the inside, because I think a lot of people are af afraid to say something to somebody because of the fact they think, oh, they don't want to hear it. They're into this or that, and they're never going to listen. And yet it's saying the right thing at the right time or, or listening to God and how he wants to speak through you that's, that that's hits so, the inside. That's so powerful what you just said, because a lot of times, you know, you hear people say, well, we shouldn't shove the gospel down people's throats and all this kind of stuff, man. I'm so glad that God created my throat work and I'm going to shove. Because I'm, I'm telling you, if, if Mike hadn't have said what he said when he said it, then I've led a lot of people to Christ, you know. And I've, yeah. I've had people curse me out and say, I don't want to hear that. And then the next thing you know, somewhere down the road, they're coming back saying, hey, you know, I gave my life to Christ. I, 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 I really thank you for saying what you said. You know, and I think it's the enemy that comes up and, he wants to, he never wants you to say what you got to say about Jesus Christ because he knows it's going to work every time. Mm -hmm. you know, this is this is foolproof. And at the same time, this is the only thing in the world that everybody needs. I guarantee you, I'm, I don't care what age, I don't care what creed, I don't care whatever. Everybody needs this. And so, you know, when it comes down to saying something to somebody, I remember when I, met, I witnessed, I got saved and I witnessed to my brother. My brother went completely off on me. I mean, he didn't want to hear it at all. He called me every name that was. And three years later, man, he was, I came over to my mom's and dad's house and he was there. And and I said, oh God, he's going to cuss him out again. And and then yeah. I walked up and he said, oh, you going to church tomorrow? I said, yeah. He said, can I go with you? <laughs> man, he went to church with me that next day. He got saved and he's passed away uh, probably about six years ago, but he mm. was was powerfully saved until the day he died. I mean, it doesn't make any difference how people react. Mm -hmm. You just got to know that the gospel is so powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. 
Yeah. And I'm telling you, it will penetrate alcohol. It will penetrate curse words. It will penetrate anything else. I don't care if they're drunk when you're talking to them. It'll kill the high. You know, yeah. Yeah. I don't care where you go. That that word, once it once it's planted, the Bible says we're we are to sow the seed, but God is the one that gives increase. And so when it comes to us preaching the gospel or witnessing the gospel to somebody, you know, you don't need a church to do this. You can do this in an alley. And I'm telling you, when you do it, that seed coming up on the inside of their heart, that's up to God. That's not up to me. One thing I'm excited about the, the documentary is is yeah. the fact that, you know, it's going to be in theaters and stuff like that in America, but they're they're actually working on putting it in foreign countries and doing, doing it in foreign, foreign tongues and stuff like that. And wow. with somebody like me coming from where I came from to have an opportunity and a platform like this to witness, you mean to tell me God saving me was something this big? <laughs> oh yeah. God, God saving anybody, whether whether it's a movie about your life or something like that, whether you ever get that or not, God saving you is enough that it'll shut down heaven and make heaven rejoice over the fact that you said yes. That is amazing. I, I've got chills right now. As I'm hearing you, I'm hearing David in my ears when he's looking up at heaven going, you know, what's man that you think anything of him? Oh my God. It's like what you're saying. You're looking up going, who me, where I came from, you're going to do this? I'm pinching myself every day. I'm, you know, working on a painting right now for Ambassador Andrew Young. And, you know, he's in the movie and he's inviting me to come to his house. And I'm, you got to be honest with God, man. I mean, if you really want to enjoy your salvation, you have to be real honest with God. And, you know, I'm sitting there saying, Lord, I remember when you picked me up off the ground. I remember when I was so high, I couldn't even walk. And I remember when I was so this, that, and the other. Now you're using me to do what? Yeah. You know, I mean, what me? I mean, I can think of 20, 20 people you could have chose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad he chose you because, you know, the the thing I saw that came out to me from the documentary it truly is and is your humbleness and the fact that, that you put yourself in God's hands. And there's a lot of fear for many people on putting themselves into God's hands because they're going... Where are you going to take me? What if I'm not sure? What? And you've seen him work, and you've allowed him to work through that. And I think my brain's going back to maybe the incident at where you worked when you were first married, out of school and everything, and what happened there, and how God showed you this was your path. You, you want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, my God. That's a, such a great story. I mean, I was... Oh, wow. I remember the night that when, when I... The first shift that I worked was night shift. You're walking out of the dark, and you're walking into this opening, into this cast iron plant, and man, it's just like fire going everywhere, and it's just like, you know, you're looking at what hell is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this, this is your job. This is where you work. And so there's a lot of danger all around because, you know, heavy machinery going over your head and everything, and there's iron and stuff like that and melted iron all around you and stuff like that. And so, you know, people were getting hurt, and some people were getting killed a lot. And so one one day I was I was working over on this part of the plant by myself and they rolled these pipe down this rail and, and then the pipe you know they get together and then they have this machine where they put them into this oven and then they come out of the oven on the other side and they and so I'm in the front part of it and all of a sudden my boss kept telling me I always keep an eye out watch what you're doing you know watch be real close mm-hmm. and so when I come over there and I turn my head for a split second and all of a sudden one of the pipe shifts and it pins my right hand 
in another fight. And Oops. I'm telling you, it had hit me so hard and the pain was so great that it was just like four different stages of pain. Mm. And then at the same time, the thing that hurt me so much, I heard the devil whisper in my ear. He said, I got you right now. You're never pain again. <laughs> and so I kind of looked at my hand. I had a glove on and I looked at my hand and I just put it behind me. And so my boss came up, you know, he's one of the toughest guys in the world. I always tell people he was tougher than a 50 cent steak. And so <laughs> this guy comes up and he looks at my hand and he just screams. And, you know, it was just that bad. You know, we had to pull my glove off and look at it and stuff. And it was yeah. just mangled. And so he called the, the medical department and, and they sent an ambulance into the plant. And the plant, they put me on this gun and put me in the ambulance and rushed me to the hospital. And, and all of a sudden my hand is throbbing like crazy. And by the time we get to the hospital, you know, the doctors and stuff, they look at it and they just start running all over the place. And so they kind of had to cleanse it before the doctor could do the surgery and stuff. And so when they cleansed it, it had metal fragments and dirt that were probably about maybe three inches thick that was in my hand. And so the skin and everything was torn all over the place. And then there was no nail on my thumb and stuff like that. And the doctor was saying, you'll never be able to use this hand again. And this is my right hand. This is what I paint with, man. You mm. know, this is what God is going to, God told me he's going to use me in a great way one day. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking that what the devil told me was true. You know, for the first time in eternity, the devil's actually told the truth. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there thinking this stuff. And then, you know, he wraps my hand up with, with gauze and all this stuff and gives me all these pain prescriptions and stuff. And I go back home and there's a painting of Samson that I hasn't, I haven't finished yet. It's unfinished. It's, still, it's on my little easel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm sitting in there and I'm just crying. You know, I can't finish. You know, I'm falling in love with God. I know using my gift and everything, every time I use it, it glorifies him. And, and I can't I can't do it anymore. And I'm sitting there in front of the easel and all of a sudden God says, pick, pick up the paintbrush. <laughs> and I know his voice distinctly. I know it. I mean, I, I, and I said, I can't do it. And he said, pick up the paintbrush. And my hand is wrapped up in all this gauze and everything. And I pick up the paintbrush and I drop it on the floor. Mm. You know, I can't hold it. And so mm-hmm. let's pick it back up again. And I'm sitting there crying. And I'm actually trying to explain to the creator who knows all things. I'm trying to teach <laughs> what I can't do. And right. I mean, looking back, I'm 60 years old now. It's just crazy. And yeah. so I went and I bent over and I picked it back up again. And uh, he said, let's paint. L-E-T-S, let's, let us. Oh, wow. As in as in Genesis, let us create, mm-hmm. let us make man in our own image, let us do it. And so, and the let us was not me and him, it was him and Christ. And so Christ put his hand on top of my hand, and actually, I was sitting there in the chair just crying my eyes out, because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I couldn't see what I was doing at the time. And all of a sudden, my hand started moving by itself. And I looked up, and I was painting everything way better than I ever knew how to do. <laughs> and it, it's been like that ever since. Wow. I go in my studio right now and I have to wait probably about 30 minutes. And then when he comes in, I can feel his hand on my shoulder. We go over to the easel and he puts his hand on top of mine and it's on. And so right now, as we're speaking right now, outside of the studio, I can't paint better than anybody else. But once <laughs> we get down there and he puts his hand on mine, it's on. And it's been like that ever since I've been saved, man. Steve, tell everybody how it transferred from you becoming a Christian into all of a sudden learning how to paint and getting to that point. What 
what was what happened in between there that that God did that helped you get the the skills? He obviously given you the talent. What all happened? Well, I, I had an uncle, you know, that that was extremely good in art, with no formal training, is extremely good in art, but he grew up in a time when for an African-American man to say he wanted to be an artist, mm -hmm. that, that wasn't going to happen. And so if you ever, ever pushed the issue or something like that, you could end up dead. And so he actually tried to push the issue a little bit and some racist people, you know, really, really broke his spirit to the point yeah. where he never do it. And he became an alcoholic and, and I never knew all of this stuff until I was older. I remembered how he used to drink and how he used to, he would go and sit in a corner and if you was doing something, he could pick up a piece of paper and draw you like a photograph and stuff. And then he would look real sad behind the drawing. Yeah. And I never, never want, never knew why. And so as I grew up, my brother used to draw and try to be like my uncle, but he never wanted to do it professionally, but I wanted to be like my brother. So I started doing it in the fourth grade. God must've gave me something special because I had a fourth grade teacher that looked at what I was doing on the back of one of my notebooks one day. And, she said, this is special. So she went to the principal and I thought I was going to get in trouble for drawing on a notebook, but she told the principal, one day this, this young man is going to be a great artist. And so she went and asked the principal, um, do we have any money for some special art supplies and stuff? And he said, no. And so she went and spent her own money to get art supplies for me and told my mother, she said, one day he's going to be very, very good in art. And my mom heard her say that, and she thought about her, her brother and right. what, I, what he went through and what I was going to have to go through. To, and she said, no, he's not. And so I didn't understand this at all until years later now. And hmm. so I thought my mom was really just speaking against me being an artist, and, and you know, I can understand why, and the teacher was so excited and, and everything. And so growing up and kind of burying talent under the gangs, you know, you just bury it. And the minister that ministered to me, uh, preached to me that night and uh, led me to Christ, he prophesied to me the same thing that the teacher said, that God was going to use my artwork. He didn't even know I did artwork. And I knew that this was this had to be God. He said that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Mm. And he said all the, the talents and the gifts that Michelangelo had and the gifts that Picasso had and the gifts that Rembrandt had, they all came from God. And God is going to impart those gifts on you and give you a piece of his creativity. I'll never forget that. that I was 19 years old when he told me that. And so I started doing artwork at home. My studio was on the floor. I couldn't afford easels or nothing like that. So I was just painting, not to get paid. I was just doing it because I knew it glorified God. Mm -hmm. thing, you know, man, it just snowballed and snowballed and God would have me meet this person and that person, that person and this person. And I'm talking about it just snowballed into a business, <laughs> you know, and things just exploded. And when it comes to the fact about the documentary and stuff, you know, we're sitting in a room with the marketing people talking about that. And it just hit me that all these little steps, all these uh, relationships and step here and a step there and a step here and a fall there and a fall here and a step here and a turn here and a turn there. God created this story mm -hmm. because I just going, I was just going through the motions with my head down and just thanking God for individual stuff and never realized he was building something. He was building a story that he was going to use one day to, to bless people all over the world and tell them, if I can do it for this crazy guy, I can do it for you. <laughs> 
not sounded too crazy. You sound just in love. <laughs> so you you did a lot of I mean things opened up like you said, and you did you've done a lot of sports things and and different people that have asked you to do paintings for them for certain things. But now take us right into now where it's jumped over into things that have to do with the civil rights and especially maybe you can speak to your dreams or your hopes or what do you think God's showing you through all this to be done in our world that just seems so tore up right now. Oh, that's a good, that's a good statement you just made up. Mm. I did so much stuff for a lot of stuff for University of Alabama. That's where it really took off at the University of Alabama. When we first started there, there was a tremendous amount of resistance and yeah. from a lot of people and God had determined in my heart so much to do it where I, I just, it's like having out-of-body experiences of um, I can't believe I can take what they just called me and I still want to do this. Wow. I can't believe what, what I just heard. I can't believe the no and the emphatic part that they put on the no and the mm. emphatic way that they closed this door and I'm still standing here and, and I'm going to be here until they open it back up. And it was just something God put in me. Then at that time, I think that, um, wow, I mean, this is so, this is so, going back to me talking about it is so special. It's, it's um, mm-hmm. and just being persistent, you know, you run into people who are not racist. And then you run, in, you run into people who are willing to stand up against their own people to help you and and you run into some real real good people you 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 learn not because of what you heard and not because of what you read but you learn by looking that there's some real good people out here mm-hmm. and, and and they're not the same color as you yeah you know, they want to see you succeed just as bad as you do and then they're willing to stand up to whoever it is they have to stand up to to make it happen and so we started doing this, uh, the, the sports stuff in college, and then it started spreading to professional sports, man. Then at the same time, I remember one night I was in my studio in uh, football season. Alabama won the national championship. Mm-hmm. We had all these fans and stuff that, that would call you on the telephone. Some of them would call you from the stadium and say, are you going to do a painting? And when's the, when's the limited edition prints coming out? And I want the first one and I want that. Uh, and so I was down one night and they won this, the national championship and everybody was calling me. And I'm thinking about, you know, artists, when you get everybody starts calling you for your art and artists star so much during that time, it's just like, wow, this has got to be God. And so... Mm-hmm you actually got a paycheck and another paycheck and another one. And so this is, this is beautiful. And all of a sudden I hear God speak to me and say, we're not going that way this year. <laughs> and I know his voice. And it, yeah. There it is again. <laughs> you know, it sounds like God, but then what he's saying, it's, it doesn't sound like God. This is strange. I mean, you're yeah. the one that's been blessing me all these years. You, you, you made me one of the top sports artists in the world. And and now you're saying we're not going this. Well, where where are we going? He said we're going to do civil rights artwork. And then I said, oh no, <laughs> because I knew that the the market for civil civil rights artwork was crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't make anybody buy any prints, you know. And Martin Luther King has been gone too long, and this is not going to work. And so I'm talking about from that statement, you know, I knew you don't say no to God. You don't understand it. That doesn't mean anything. So I said yes. Just like I've been saying my whole life with him, I said, yes, I understand, but I know I can trust you. Brother, I'm talking about 
if you ever got you ever driving one day and 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 got lost and then just in your gut i mean the holy spirit says turn right here and it doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. and you make that turn and you find out that you're right where you're supposed to be when that night when he said we're going this way everything about my artwork exploded huh. went through the roof based on the civil rights artwork i never would have known ambassador young you know yeah I, I never would have had a, a, a print that I did to commemorate Bloody Sunday in Selma that mm. Ambassador Andrew Young, John Lu Congressman John Lewis, Reverend C.T. Vivian, Reverend Joseph Lowry decided that they were going to hand sign it and endorse it. They had never hand signed and endorsed anything mm. uh, together since Dr. King passed away. And I never thought that President Johnson's daughter would see the painting and she would beg me to put the first print in her father's presidential library. I never would have thought that the government of the Bahamas would call me and tell me that this is the place, there's a place over here that Martin Luther King came to write his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech, will you come over and do a painting of it? And I never would have thought that, I never would have thought that a friend, the best friend of Prince Charles would ask me if he could take an image of that painting over for Prince Charles to see. And Prince Charles would send a message back and says, you know, tell him when COVID is, is over, he wants me to come and present him one of those prints, which Dr. King went to Bimini in the Bahamas where the poor people are. And yeah. then I, when I went to Bimini, I found out that the, when the slave ships were brought from Africa, they didn't just come to America. They went to a lot of other places, including Great Britain. The people in the Bahamas used to be owned by the British people. So mm -hmm. when Prince Charles wanted the print, you know, I, asked, I told the guy, I want to present the print to him on behalf of the people of Bimini, the poor people who used to be owned by his people, and wow. Bimini of Dr. King. And he said that he said that was the, that was awesome. And when this, you know, we'll be in front of Prince Charles pretty soon. And then the next thing, you know, here comes all this other stuff uh, with the documentary and everything. And so it, all of that stuff is based on just saying one yes, one night when I thought God didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I hear you. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you took that path. Steve, so as you're, as you're looking at everything that's happening around you and what's also happening in the United States and, and in the world, but in the United States particularly, I guess, right now, what can you tell others that will be helpful in this time uh, what, what do you see as being things that would be beneficial to help the rifts that are there and the, and the divisions? Well, I, I tell you one thing that, that the enemy is doing a great job of deception and making people assume that they know each other when they never sit down and talk to each other at all. Mm -hmm. the enemy has a, he's, he's the best at deception and at thinking that one race is better than the other and one race is superior. One race is subordinate to another and, in order for you to think like that, you, you don't know anything about God. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to God, I mean, the playing field is level. And because there is no, no Jew or no Greek when it comes to being in Christ. And so there is no bond or free. There's, there's none of that stuff. I mean, it's all, we're on common ground, which is a beautiful thing. Whenever you be successful, I don't care who you are. In order to be successful at anything you do, you'll never be able to do it with only one race. Mm -hmm. The civil rights movement, I talked to Andrew Young, I talked to a lot of people that were involved. The civil rights movement would have been a complete failure if it wasn't for the involvement of every other race other than um, black people. 
And so there's no way that you're going to succeed at anything without everybody's involvement. Even Christianity, Christianity, if you look at it, I mean, it exploded when Jesus came and opened the doors to everybody, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's when it really exploded, man. Salvation has always been great, but I'm talking about when he opened it up to a 16-year-old African-American boy back 1976. I mean, it went crazy. Right. I think that people, we don't talk to each other enough. If we do, we'll find out we got so much more in common. Then at the same time, when you talk to people, you get a chance to understand. The Bible says that you get knowledge and you get wisdom and all you're getting, get an understanding. Once you start to understand where people are coming from, man, you find out that, that hate dissipates and it, it just, you know, it's, there's no reason for it. But when you don't understand one another and you start leaning on assumption, which is the lowest form of knowledge, you find out, man, you start hating people you don't even know. Mm. I mean, that's a lot of people that hate the president, you know, and, and yeah. you know, you never met the president, man. And, and the only reason you're everything your hate is based on is what you've been told by somebody who has probably has an axe to grind. And then at the same time, if you're walking with Christ, I mean, there's no room for hate at all. I mean, Christ is so radical when it comes to love. I mean, he's so radical. He'll tell you to love your enemies. Even if you know something bad about the guy, you still commanded to love him. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, he's the president of the United States, you know, and we're living in the United States of America. And no matter what he does wrong, if he's flying an airplane and you're flying on the airplane and he's flying and all of a sudden he says something crazy. Yeah. Are you? Go up there and just chastise him while he's flying this airplane. No, I'm going to pray for him while he's flying this airplane because I'm sitting on it. And I don't want him to climb <laughs> the airplane that I'm flying on with him. Yeah. And so the Bible tells us to pray for the, you know, pray for our leaders and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you pray for them, you're praying to a God that can change anything that's wrong. Yeah. But if you criticize him, the only thing you're going to do is just exacerbate what's already wrong. Man, common sense. Come on. I mean, God didn't let me go to school. If I could figure this out, I know y'all can get this. <laughs> but you're right. The powerful thing you're saying about the radical love that Jesus expressed to all of us, we're to think back and remember all that he's saved us from, all our guilt, all our sins. And that should, if anything, motivate us to go love people radically, too. It's just like we walk around with two scales. Here we got a scale where we take the things that we do wrong mm-hmm. on a certain scale and we sing amazing grace and we praise God for him forgiving all the sins that we did. But we got another scale. We got another scale where we put other people's sins and stuff on. Instead of us singing that same amazing grace, we sang some, you know, criticism, rock and roll. And so, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It goes back to what Jesus said about he that's without fault has the first stone. I mean, nobody's throwing anything. Yeah. Anything that you'd uh, think would be helpful or beneficial for churches to think about along those lines, since we're hitting on love and Christ's example? It's extremely important when it comes to the church, man, because it's one thing about people that are that are unsaved. They're spiritually blind. It's a lot of stuff that they can't see. But -hmm. when it comes to us, Christ holds us to a whole nother standard. Yeah. And so when it comes to us, he told us, he commanded us, it's impossible for you to pass from death to life without love for the brethren. Then at the same time, he tells us that faith, it works by love. And so the enemy knows that if he can get us out of love, our faith won't work. We, we hadn't been asked to love one another or 
we haven't been recommended that we love one another. We've been commanded to love one another. And he's such a great leader. He's not going to tell you to do something that he didn't do first. Yeah. And he told us to love one another, and then you pick the way you want to do it. He told us how to love one another. I want you to love one another just like I love you. And if he never said anything else in that Bible, he's got all of us right where he wants us. <laughs> so bad. That's so true. I mean, he told us as husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church, you know, and our wives will let us have it every now and then with that scripture. But then he told the whole church, <laughs> I want you to love one another as I love you. So I got the wives too. So, Steve, based upon everything else that we were talking about and, you know, talking about Jesus's love, is there anything specific that you could give as encouragement to the other people that are listening out here and, and what might be helpful for them that you've seen in your life? When it comes to, you know, people who have people in their families who are, seems like they've gone too far, uh, especially if, if it's anything that has to do with drug addiction or something like that, mm. don't ever give up on them. I don't care how bad they're acting, some of the stuff they're saying or whatever, don't ever give up on them. Mm. Keep praying for them because I guarantee you, you can't see it, but God can see it on the inside of them. There's a little child that's really wanting to get set free. And then the only somebody that can do that is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, when it comes to God, there's no such thing as too late. So when it comes to people in your family that are struggling and stuff like that, husband, wife, child, or whoever, don't ever stop praying for them and don't ever give up on them. Wow. And, uh, because, I mean, I, I was one of those people. Mm -hmm. Mike, Mike could have looked over there and saw what I was doing and, and just said, lost cause. But yeah. I know for a fact that it's never too late, man. I don't care how bad it gets. And in my life, it was way better than I could ever tell you. Then at the same time, when it comes to people, most everybody, God created everybody with a gift. And a lot of times people don't find that gift. And uh, they have a purpose to use that gift and a place to use it. They were born with that purpose. And don't ever uh, give up. As far as asking God, I think the, the most important prayer you could, pr could pray is to ask God, what would thou have me to do? Find out exactly what it is that he designed you to do. It's not so much as what somebody suggests or something that even you suggest yourself. You'd be surprised why are you here. It's not an extremely hard thing to find your purpose. You know, it's just a simple, mm -hmm. sincere prayer of God. What will you have me to do? What am I here for? What was I born to do? And once you find it, I guarantee you, it's nothing like that. And then at the same time, there's a lot of people out there that's buried gifts under their careers. They buried their gifts under being something that you you really wasn't born to do, but you just, you know, you do it good. Mm -hmm. Just because you do something good, that don't mean that's what you were born to do. You know, God yeah. has to be the one to tell you, you don't just find what you, you know, as people say, you find yourself, you don't find yourself with a true and living God who created you. He knows exactly why you're here because hmm. he's the one that chose you before the foundation of the world to do a certain thing. Yeah. So it's never too late to get spiritual shovels and start digging up those gifts that we buried. I think as you could probably amen, if we follow that path, we'll never be more fulfilled than if we follow our own. So Steve, thanks for joining us. And, you know, we look forward to, uh, we look forward to the documentary coming out. It's Colors of Character, an artist's journey to redemption. We'll put uh, some links up to you and to that on our website uh, when we 
post this podcast and we just, you know, we'll continue to pray for God's blessing mightily in your life. I look forward to it, Bruce. And I really want you to, to really receive this, man. I really appreciate you and everything that God is doing in and through you. And I, I, I praise God for you. Oh, well, thank you very much. God bless you. And we'll yes. catch up with you later. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.